Holy God, it can be sadly too easy to go through this season, even as we celebrate Christmas, and forget why we celebrate. And so we ask that in these moments we are gathered together, you would remind us of just how good this story is. Would you humble us? Would you awe us? Would you love us into something incredible? And we know this is always what you are trying to do. You are always finding ways to come to us. And so perhaps our best response in this next hour together is that we would ask you to help us receive you well. Open our hearts, our ears, our eyes. Help us to see, really see, who you are, how you are coming to us, and what you want to do. And we trust that if we can see clearly and hear you well, obedience and joy will follow. So we ask these things in the name and spirit of Christ. Amen. Well, good evening to you. My name is Chris. I get to be one of the pastors here. And one of the reasons I'm here is because uh, this has been a church that has told really, really good stories. And if you haven't been a part of it for very long, we're also pretty good at throwing really good parties. So I want to make sure that you know that you are welcome to a really good party we are about ready to throw. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Today is the fourth Sunday in the season of Advent. Obviously, tomorrow is Christmas Eve, and then we will be celebrating uh, tomorrow we will be celebrating the birth of our Lord together, and then on Tuesday it is Christmas Day. Um, but uh, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, and if you don't have a Bible, we'd like to lend you a Bible. We have some friends who have Bibles. We even have some Bibles in Spanish. If Spanish is your heart language or you're practicing your Spanish, say, I want a Spanish Bible. Um, and, uh, and you can borrow one of these Bibles. If you don't own one, it is yours to keep. If you just need to have one for the evening, just leave it on your chair. and Somebody will pick it up at the end of the evening. But Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 39, we're going to be reading a text out of the Revised Common Lictionary that comes in the middle of a couple of different stories. So I invite you to turn there, and I also invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word for us on this fourth Sunday in the season of Advent. So hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 39. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a, gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we all say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So the first chapter of Luke is really two stories that run parallel with, with each other. If you would keep your Bible open and you would look at Luke chapter 1, you would see that the, that the first story is about Zechariah the priest, and the second story 
is about Mary of Nazareth. So the scene opens up for Luke quickly, and there we have Zachariah. I've got a picture of him here. He's, he's a priest of the highest standing. And Luke tells us that he is married, and he's married to a woman whose name is Elizabeth. We read about Elizabeth just a moment ago. And it says that both of them are righteous and upstanding. They are really, really good citizens, which is probably not the right way to say it. They are the best citizens. They have done every single thing right. The Eastern Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Church recognizes them as saints. But there is this one little problem that actually turns out to be not just a little problem, it turns out to be a huge problem. They have never been able to have children. Now time has passed, they're really old, they are old, old. Their hopes of ever having kids are dead, nailed in the coffin, and buried. But Luke is one that likes to tell really strange stories, and uh, Strange makes a mad dash onto the scene immediately as we start reading the first chapter. So it's the time of year where a sacrifice needs to be made in the temple, and Zechariah is the priest, and his number is called. He's to go into the temple, and he's to make this sacrifice on behalf of the people and behalf of God to atone for the people's sins. And this thing is a bloody ordeal, this thing that happens in the temple. And, and he just wants to get in, he wants to make the sacrifice, and then he wants to get out. He went one, two, three. This is a huge risk to go into the temple because facing God can be a scary thing. In fact, priests would tie ropes around their waist just in case the people had to drag a corpse out when they encountered God. But, but what was going on in the midst of this sacrifice, there, there Zechariah is, in the temple, and he does have a true encounter with God, and he is stopped in his tracks. In fact, it says that he receives a promise because he encounters God in, in the person of God's angel, Gabriel, who tells him not to be afraid because even though he and his wife, Elizabeth, are very, very, very old, that she is expecting, and they're going to have a baby. It, the text says this, don't fear, Zachariah. I remember when I heard that we were having a baby, I was very scared. Don't fear, Zachariah, are the first words out of the angel's mouth. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear you a son. You are to name him John. You're going to leap like a gazelle for joy. And not only you, many, many will delight in his birth, and he'll achieve great stature with God. It's interesting, then, that the angel gives a, a description. He'll, he'll drink neither wine nor beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his, mom, his mother's womb. He will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to God. He will herald God's arrival in the style and the strength of the prophet Elijah. He'll soften the hearts of parents to children and kindle devout understanding among hardened skeptics. And what he'll do is he'll get the people ready for God. Now, what person who is longing to be a parent, what person who is longing to be a child doesn't dream of this kind of a kid? Not only is he going, not only is Zachariah going to have a son and Elizabeth's going to have a son, but it's like Gabriel saying to them, saying to them you're going to have a son and the son is going to have the most talent. 
He will be the most popular, get good grades, be the head of the class. He'll always do the right thing. He'll be a standout leader in the youth group. He will be like all of your heroes. But not only that, he will be favored by God and he will prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Something that you have been waiting for for a long, long, long time. But like you and me, Zachariah lives in the real world. And he's been around a while, and he knows how the real, word, the real world works. He's been disappointed before. They've prayed for a child before. And when something sounds too good to be true, usually, you know usually it is. So, you know, he asks, he asks a question that leads to a little bit of trouble. And his question is, is how is, how is this going to happen? I'm an, old, I'm an old man. My wife is old. We're getting along in years. That's the first story. Then the second story that Luke launches into is, is this one. This time, Gabriel doesn't meet somebody in the temple, but he goes to a young girl from a dumpy little bitty town called Nazareth. She's not a priest. She's not in the temple. She's not been picked to lead in worship. She, she has no resume. Even her name, Mary, is incredibly forgettable. She's engaged to a man named Joseph, and they've not even slept together. But Gabriel says to her, greetings, favored one. And it says, the text says, she was thoroughly shaken, as you can imagine, just like Zechariah. And she wonders what comes with a greeting like that. But the angel assures her, Mary, you You don't have anything to fear. God has a surprise for you. You'll become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will rule Jacob's house forever. There will be no end ever, ever, ever to his kingdom. Second story. Again, there's an angel. Again, there's a miraculous encounter. Again, there is an expectation. Again, there is a promise. Again, there is a son. These two stories go hand in hand. But this time, this kid won't just be the captain of the basketball team or the president of his class. He won't be the kid with the highest ACT score. What the angel says is that he will be greater even than the Caesars. He will be greater even than the Pharaohs himself. And it's Mary's turn, just like Zachariah did. It's Mary's turn to ask questions. And her question happens to be the exact same question that Zachariah asks. How can this happen? Only instead of her being very old, she says, I, I, I'm, just, I'm a young girl, I am a virgin. So in both stories, you have the same question. How can this happen? These stories are told back to back. It's the same plot line with different, different small, small nuances. Both have these major characters, the priest and the virgin, and they have the same question. So I like to take a moment and just ponder, how, how can this happen? How can, how, can, how can this be? How can we be sure of this? We are too old but we're, I'm just a virgin. We ask questions like this all the time. How can this be? And the reason we ask the question is because we've been around the block. We know how the world works. We know how things are. We know that some, if something sounds too good to be true, it usually is. 
There have been times when we have prayed and we have, uh, we have been promised, and frankly, we have been disappointed. So when someone comes along offering something so wonderful to us, we need to ask, or we do ask, how can we be sure of this? This might be the most legitimate question in our faith life. After all, there, there seems to be these times in our lives when we have prayed for things, but after so long, after so much waiting, after so many disappointments, it seems that it's just, it's just not going to happen. Have you ever asked this question? Have you ever wondered? Maybe God isn't interested. Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe God doesn't care. These questions. Both of these characters ask this question side by side, and, and Luke does some interesting things. He seems to indicate that, uh, that Zechariah gets in trouble for asking his doubting words to, uh, to Gabriel. In fact, the text says that his mouth is closed and he's unable to speak until John is born. For months, he cannot say anything. But I need to tell you, I'm sympathetic to Zechariah. My heart goes out to him. After all, he's been disappointed for far too long. He's done all the right things. He is the best citizen. Why should he get into trouble and marry the virgin who asked the exact same question doesn't? You hear the words from the angel, you are favored by God. I think, this is my own personal opinion, but I think that Zacharias should have a little bit of freedom to doubt if God is going to uphold his promises. And it seems problematic to me. That little quandary seems problematic. So I decided to dive in and see what commentators and scholars had to say about this. And most of them say things like this. Mary demonstrated trust while Zachariah demonstrated doubt. And that's probably true. And I probably shouldn't doubt the, or I shouldn't, probably shouldn't doubt the experts on, it, on this, but, but I actually think that there is more going on. We've said before here at the H Street Church that when we read the Scriptures, we can always lean into the Scriptures to tell us the truth, and what they tell us the truth about is God. But th- what they also tell us the truth about is ourselves, And here we are reflecting on our own lives and reflecting on this text. And while Zachariah seems to doubt God and Mary seems to trust, I'll I'll give them that. I don't think that the punishment comes simply because of doubt and trust. Because we know that Zachariah has trusted before. I think Luke is trying to do something. He's trying to call us to pay attention to something. He's trying to teach us a truth about God, but he's also trying to teach us a truth about ourselves that we need to be aware of. I think that that Luke is trying to show us the truth of God and the truth of ourselves by laying these two stories next to each other, and he's trying to hold those up to do some sort of a, a kind of literary trick where we're forced to look at one story and then look at the other. We're forced to compare and contrast. We, we begin to see what Luke is doing in, in, in this, and we discover that perhaps when we see both texts and we look at them side by side, by side uh, we discover that it doesn't matter who you are. You could be a priest or a virgin or a doubter or a truster or somebody or a nobody, but God will in the end keep his promises. Because Luke includes both stories on purpose. 
This wasn't the first time that God wanted to help old people have babies. Uh, The story of Abraham and Sarah is the foundational story of Israel. So he would have just, you know... So if he would have just told Zachariah and the, if Luke would have just told the Zachariah and Elizabeth story, then it would have simply been the same miracle that had been told before for hundreds of years. It would have been expected by the readers if we would have just read the one story. Zachariah and Elizabeth deserved to have their promise realized because Zachariah was from the right family but he was also one of the best and the brightest in the community. If we just read that one story, we would know it immediately. Zachariah is the best of citizens. If he applied for a job, Zachariah would get it. If he was up for a spot on the board of trustees at a major university, Zachariah would be the person they would, they would put on the board. If he needed, you know, if, if somebody needed a witness in a high-profile law case, something out of, I don't know, like to kill a mockingbird or something, Zachariah would be it. If a partnership was opened at a local law firm, Zachariah would get the partnership. He got the athletic and the academic scholarship in high school. He was first team captain. He came from the right family. He had the right degrees. He was experienced in everything. And if we just read that one story, then it would be like, but what we have is two stories next to one another. And we have a second story with the same plot, with a different character in the lead. And Mary, Mary was a nothing. She had no prestige, she had no money, no resume, no education, no fame. She probably couldn't even read. She was a young girl, a virgin. And I think Luke takes these two stories and he puts them back to back and he lays them down side by side and he does a literary trick not just to show us that Zechariah doubts and therefore he has this consequence, but rather what Luke is doing is putting these two stories side by side and he tells us a story of a God who closes the mouth of Zechariah so it can be absolutely clear to us that God is going to demonstrate his promise to all people in the most likely of ways. In other words, what God does is he closes the mouth of Zechariah so that God can show God's power and demonstrates God's promise in the most unlikely ways because sometimes we don't listen. So God shuts the mouth of Zechariah and he highlights Mary so that we can notice, we can get a glimpse of, about, of what's about to happen. Some of you have been around the block. You know how the world works. You don't believe that God's promises could be fulfilled in you because you and I, from time to time, ask the question, how can this happen? We are too old, but I am just a virgin. But in this text, with these two things coming together, when we look at them side by side, when we ask this question, There are things that keep us from believing, as were things for both of these characters. But God wants to close the mouth of the privileged in the text so that he can fulfill his promise to those of us who think that we are nobodies. And when we ask the question, how can this happen? Because I am adopted, I am dyslexic, I am too shy. I am divorced, but I don't fit in, but I don't have any friends, but I have a hard time talking to people, but I'm not that good looking, 
but my parents didn't really love me, but I was bullied constantly, but I grew up in an environment of hostility, but I have been coping by self-medicating for years, but, but I have a hard time reading, but I never went to college, but I can't find my purpose, but I don't interview well, but I have ADD and I just can't concentrate, but I am broke, but I have a record, but I am a felon, but I'm not smart enough, I'm not a good enough athlete because I've never been a good leader, but, because, but, but my parents kicked me out of the house because I've done too many bad things. How can this be? I am this. Well, I think that Luke places these two together and he closes Zachariah's mouth so that we can see the alarming newness of God and the way in which God's kingdom works. And we can hear to everybody, somebodies and nobodies, doubters and trusters, the famous and the not-so-famous, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. Another way to say that, God loves you. But, you know, I find it interesting that in this text, and sometimes it takes another person to help us respond to the promises of God, the promises of God can be tough to believe, just like messages from angels can be difficult to believe. Sometimes there needs to be an embodied messenger that gives us confidence in the promises of God, someone who is real life and flesh and blood who can confirm for us that what we hope for and what we've heard just might be true. So in this text, I've there's a few interesting things that happen. Mary does say, I, I am the Lord's servant. May, may it be as you have said. But then she runs to Elizabeth's house, and when she enters into Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. And when I, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Something happened inside of me, and you are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he the Lord would do what he had said. Has anybody actually acted as Elizabeth to you? You have heard something from God and wondered because it's just so strange and you needed somebody who was embodied, somebody who was flesh and blood to confirm and affirm what you heard. Doug Samples is my Elizabeth. I had this about five years ago, I had this unique and growing urge in my life uh, that I was to leave what I was to do and what I was doing, and I was to come and I was to plant a church. And I was nervous to talk to anybody about it in fear that, that the staff that I worked on and my pastor that I worked for w- would, would find out and I would be at risk of losing my job. I don't, know if, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm sort of reasonable and I'm kind of a deliberate person and, and things that are mystical actually worry me. And I don't like making really any kinds of moves unless there is a good strategy or reason behind it. And I, I also don't think that I fit the church planter mold. I heard this word and I thought, but I. And I struggled because I'm not an, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not charismatic. I'm a behind-the-scenes leader. I'm not high-octane. And you all know I'm not funny at all. A mystical call wasn't something that I was willing to risk it all for. So in my being deliberate, I called Doug Samples. And I needed somebody to talk to. And I told him, I, I think that maybe 
we were meeting in his office, and I told him, I think that maybe God is calling me to plant a church. And there we sat in his office, and he leaned back in his chair, he crossed his arms, and he said, and where are you thinking about doing this? And when I told him, I'm thinking about the midtown, downtown area of Oklahoma City, he jumped forward, and he slammed his hand on his desk, and he shouted, for the last number of months, Cheryl and I have been driving around these streets praying that God would bring these people a pastor. He was my Elizabeth, and today I'm your Elizabeth. I am your Doug. <laughs> and on this fourth Sunday in the season of Advent, the, 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 the day of where we we recognize the love of God, I am here to say to you, you are highly favored and loved by God. And I have been praying for you that you would know how wide and deep and long the love of God is for you. So like Zachariah, close your mouth, open your eyes and your ears to the God colors of your life and the God sounds that will draw you in. And I'm here to say to you, like Mary, my friends, do not be afraid. You are pregnant with the promises of God. I think that we should take our cue here from Mary of Nazareth, Mary of Nazareth who responds brilliantly. She hears these great words. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said that he would do. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord, even when you ask these questions, would do in your life what he said he would do. She hears these words and she realizes that God comes to her in love and she indeed is pregnant with God's promises. And in his love for you, you are as well. Mary should believe it. Mary believed it and I invite you to believe it as well. Each week, we are invited to this table of our Lord. It is a table where we know that here is, a, is trust and love. It is a constant reminder of something that is tangible. We talk about we need something that is embodied to extend us the promise and assurance that God is for us. And so here, we recognize that this is the body of Christ and this is the blood of Christ. It is here where we remember that Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And I think that maybe, just maybe, Jesus learned this sacrificial kind of love from his mother. In faith and in hope, we come to this table, and I want to remind you that Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed by those he came to save, at dinner he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you, and whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he held it up, and he said, this cup is the new covenant that comes in my blood, and whenever you drink this, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. At our church, we practice an open table, which means that all who are open to the transforming work and love of God in Christ are welcome. You're welcome to this table, but you're also welcome in this community. Everyone who is open to believe this good work of God and wants to receive the promise of God and the grace of God is welcome to this table. Here is where we live into this promise. Here is where we find ourselves following the one who was the victim of this world and yet said to all of his friends, 
do not worry. I have overcome it. We want no barriers, so our bread is gluten-free, our wine is non-alcoholic, but what I want to do is invite you to leave the left side of your row, move down our, one of our aisles with your, come with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. We do not take communion at this church, we receive it because we know it is a gift. Allow one of these to be your Elizabeth, to be your Doug, allow them to serve you, listen to what they have to say, and when they place the bread into your hand, you may take it, dip it into the cup, and eat it. For any reason you're unable to come down our aisle or you need assistance, just wave to Allison and she would love to come serve you. Friends, this table represents the promise that comes to us in the person of Jesus, the one who Elizabeth confirmed, the one who modeled his life after his mother, the one who is God among us. Enjoy the celebration at his table. When you are ready, you may come.